This is our uh, third week where we're going through Ecclesiastes. Um, and Doug Sanford actually reminded me, I should probably tell you all the passage we're going to cover next week so you can read ahead if you want. Actually, Ecclesiastes is only uh, 12 chapters, I think. So if you want to, you could like read Ecclesiastes like probably every week and just, because this is what's hard, this is what's hard about wisdom books is the themes, they, he's kind of coming all the way back to them again and again and again. So it's almost best just to read it in a big chunk. But next week we're going to cover, uh, the main thing is going to be chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. If, the, if you want to read that ahead uh, sometime this week and think about it. Um, I'm always telling you, uh, these are my resources. Uh, Zach S. Wine has a great book called Recovering Eden. Um, most of it comes from there. And then uh, the Bible Project people as well. <clears throat> okay. Before we kind of get into the main thing, there was something last week uh, I didn't get to say uh, that I would uh, like to, but let me, uh, let me pray. Father, um, uh, wisdom is, uh, Proverbs says it's a path, uh, which can kind of be frustrating because I just want it to be a door that you just kind of walk through and get it. Uh, but it is a long path of abiding in you and trusting you and walking through life. And so, um, but you do promise to give it to us if we ask. So would you uh, grow us in wisdom this morning as we uh, kind of work through uh, your word in Ecclesiastes and in a really broken uh, and death-filled world, give us hope and joy and real wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Uh, if you look at Ephesians, I mean, Ecclesiastes 1, um, verse 13, I meant to end this way last week. Uh, Again, this is kind of still in the intro. He says this, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. <clears throat> Remember, wisdom is how to live a good life in this complex, broken world. Uh, what does it look like uh, to, uh, what are the expectations I should have? What are my expectations of God, myself? What should it look like in this very complex world? And <clears throat> here's what I love. This is a hard verse. When he says it's an unhappy business that God's given the children of man to be busy with, I think that this is kind of one of those Ecclesiastes moments where he's, uh, where he's trying to get you to deal with the real world because he's saying, I want you to really think about the world that God has left us in. Um, yes, God is our redeemer. He's our rescuer. Of course, we're going to talk about that. But he real, Ecclesiastes wants you to take on wisdom in the world as it really is before a God who governs everything, even a fallen world. And so he, that statement, he's exalting God for sure. But, he, but he's saying, I want you to reckon with the reality of the struggles in this world and how disappointing this world can be and how discouraging this world is. And I want you to realize that God allowed that. That, uh, he, he, that there is this toil and this broken world that he let happen. Of course, it's not his fault. Sin is our fault, those kind of things. But this is the honesty of Ecclesiastes is like, and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he didn't stop that. And he, he did not prevent the world going awry, and he did not immediately fix it. Uh, thousands upon thousands, generations upon generations, God has overseen and governed a world with all this unhappy business, all this death, all this sin, all this violence. And he has not relieved, relieved us from all those consequences of sin immediately. 
Uh, and that's what I mean. Like Ecclesiastes is kind of in your face saying, this, this is what it looks like to walk in real wisdom, to walk before the God who is governing all things and has chosen not to relieve us of all the consequences of a broken and fallen world right now. So Eswan says this, God is quite willing to invite us into a book and a life in which we walk toward the end without everything being fixed, answered, or settled before we get there. Uh, I think it was James Harper who told me, he said, man, Ecclesiastes is awesome for Presbyterians. Because if, if you're a Presbyterian, you pride yourself in having the answers for everything, right? <laughs> we think we've got the theology for everything. And Ecclesiastes makes you say there's actually some things you can't explain. There's a mystery to life. There's gonna be a struggle that uh, the tension will not be resolved. Uh, So uh, Bible Project, I'll I'll bring it to close. Bible Project says Ecclesiastes forces you, the reader of the whole Bible, to recognize the complexity of life and and some things happen that don't fit into our grid. But the things that don't fit into our grid don't mean that God is not real or not faithful. It just means life is more complex than I first thought. And I've got to figure out how to take that complexity and mystery into account. So if I'm going to be wise, I have to reckon with the God who has not chosen to fix all the consequences of the world and allows, allows his world and his people to remain uh, in a world of, of death and confusion and things like that. Um, so I would even say Ecclesiastes wants you to groan and to ask questions. But once you hear that language, if you hear groaning, Maybe it reminds you of Romans 8 where it says, what is creation doing? Creation is groaning. When Jesus showed up in this world, he was called a man of sorrows. He groaned. So wisdom and righteousness in the world as it is, is going to look like groaning. It's going to look like longing. It's going to look like tears. That's the reckoning that Ecclesiastes does. And so if you're going to find real wisdom, you've got to walk in the real world as it is, which is going to, which is going to have at some level a sense of vanity. All right. So, um, let's now, uh, I won't do that, okay. Um, let's now read Ephesians, I, mean, I keep saying Ephesians, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. This is going to kind of be our main text here. We'll, we'll jump around at some of the themes, but <clears throat> here it is. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do, un, to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines and delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded in doing, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All right, I try to start off with uh, some questions every time. get us talking, getting to know each other, and so you don't have to hear me kind of babble the whole time. So here's your question. We just read those uh, 11 verses. 
Um, the, the preacher, the teacher, whether it's Solomon or, or Solomonite lit wisdom is saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna impart some wisdom on you by testing pleasure in this world, okay? So look at those verses. I counted, I think, nine. But what, what are the specific pleasures that Solomon tests? What can you find? And then just kind of ask yourself, well, is there, I'll give you a hint, is there really anything new in 2023 uh, that we're dealing with that they weren't thousands of years ago? Okay, then second, and I realize this could be uh, uh, a little more vulnerability. You don't have to answer these, but one is how do you see the, how does the pursuit of one of those pleasures, how do you see it play out in Oxford around you? Okay, what does it look like? And then if you're willing, say, okay, pick one of those pleasures. How has, how has that pleasure, what role has it played in your life? And all these pleasures, you're gonna hear the pleasures themselves are not bad. It's what we try to do with them that, that, that uh, Solomon's gonna say always leads to vanity. Um, and so then the last thing is, uh, what's the difference between pursuing pleasure to escape the realities of the world? Right, because uh, Ecclesiastes saying you got to live in the reality of this broken world. And what's the difference between pursuing pleasure to escape this world and pursuing pleasure as a gift from God? That's, Ecclesiastes is gonna say wisdom brings you to see pleasure as a gift from God, not as a way to escape or to satisfy yourself. So. Take a few minutes, discuss some of those, see what comes up. I'll stop us in about, uh, two, uh, about four or five minutes. Um, all right, thank you for discussing. Hopefully you're getting to know some people too as well. Um, okay, I'm gonna come back and ask you some of those, but you can see verse one, how he's setting this up in chapter two. He says, come, I will test you with pleasure. <clears throat> Enjoy yourself. So. This preacher is imparting wisdom by saying, I want you to watch my experience as I tested myself with pleasure. Think about the way a test works, okay? Uh, a test, you know, whether it's in school or whatever, reveals what is true of you. It reveals whether you actually studied, right? <laughs> when the Queen of Sheba showed up to test Solomon in First Kings or whatever, she asked him all these questions, he's around his presence. She's trying to figure out the nature of Solomon if he is who people say he is. Um, and so he's saying in order to, to become wise, to know this path of wisdom, I'm going to test my heart. And I'm going to, in the heart, in the Bible, the heart is the centrality of you. It's, it's the core of who you are. Uh, it is out of your heart is the wellspring of life is what Proverbs says. Out of your heart comes your thinking, your will, your emotions, all of that. Uh, uh, and so he says, I'm going to test it. I'm going to apply these things and watch the way that my heart works with pleasure attached to it. And I'm just going to examine it uh, and then tell you my experience. This is why I think Ecclesiastes really is. It's so good for our day and age because... Um, Again, Presbyterians sometimes can write, and sometimes, like we can belittle people's experience, I think sometimes, and feelings. I don't think feelings should rule the day, but feelings and experience matters. Especially the, the, the generation coming up is all about experience. And the Ecclesiastes, the preacher is saying, I'm going to tell you my experience as I tested the heart with pleasure. I'm gonna tell you what it was like. And so he is sorting out his experiences in this world and he's gonna say, there's something about the experience in this world that can tell us about myself, about God, and about what a wise path in this world would look like. And what I want you to hear is, I, I, I'm convinced of this, look, there's people that disagree. I don't think the preacher here is like the prodigal son in, uh, 
the prodigal son, and um, if you remember the Jesus parable, right, sells everything he has, goes off and lives this incredibly licentious life, uh, just full of every, you know, full of everything that you'd describe, goes on the worst days of, you know, in a fraternity, whatever. I like fraternities, you know, but that, that's the, the worst parts of it. And keeps himself, like the prodigal son, like loses his senses in a real sense. I don't think that's what happens here. He, he watches his heart. He tests it. He, he, he keeps his senses and kind of uses a different place. For the most part, he's, he's going about pleasure in the right way. Now, there's some things that are wrong, obviously. But still with that, he says it's all hevel. It's all smoke. It's real. It's real pleasure. But it will not satisfy you. It will not answer life's deepest questions. It will not resolve all the why questions in your life and give you a purpose. So what, uh, what were some of the ones you came up with? What are the specifics that he decides to test his heart with? What were, the, what were some of the pleasures he found? What? Alcohol was one. That was like verse three, I think. Good. What else? Money, sex, power. That was like verse eight, verse uh, seven, eight. Yeah, good. Anything else? House, yeah. Uh, my kind of dwelling, my, uh, the place I reside, good. Entertainment, yes. Uh, like beauty, recreation, um, uh, he, he tests it with that. Anything else? What's that? Yes, Gabby, productivity. Uh, verse 11, he talks about his work. In uh, verse four, I think he talks about art and the beautiful things that he's produced and made. Yeah, productivity, good. Anything else? Verse two, laughter, that's my favorite. He, try, he tries a bunch of jokes. Um, see how they land. Uh, probably not, but, uh, but he does. He talks about laughter. Which I think is a picture of, um, of uh, laughter is usually an expression of joy. And so he's like, what if I, what if I tried to kind of live in a posture of joy all the time, always laughing? How, you know, how will that work? Um, good. Y'all did so well. You passed the test. Um, I was going to try to draw Ward Toller this week, and I didn't have time. I'm going to try next week, and he's going to be my Ecclesiastes man. But here's the ones I came up with. Jokes, laughter, alcohol, art, nature, beauty, recreation, money, possessions, music, sex, affirmation, work. When you read that list, you start realizing why the preacher says there's nothing new under the sun. Like, it's 2023. Those are still the pleasures today that we test our hearts with. And again... The pleasures, hear me on this, are things that God made. So they're things that are good. It's just they can be twisted by the fall. They can be twisted by our hearts. And if we use them improperly, uh, then it's foolish and it brings about destruction. Um, Again, the fall has affected everything, uh, even the good gifts from God. So let's just walk through a few of these. Um, First is laughter, okay? Again, laughter is a good gift from God. Psalm 126, look, look what it talks about laughter. It compa- laughter is used as a metaphor for what happens when the Lord restores everything that's been lost, when the Lord brings salvation. When the Lord restored the fortune of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. So laughter, it's a, it's a wonderful gift. Uh, it's, uh, I, I, you know, if... This, there's a headline I saw the other day that laughter actually helps your immune system. <laughs> that laughter actually reduces stress. 
that they're like, it, it really is a good gift. Um, and so God made us, it's really cool. God made us to experience joy and to express that in, in laughter. Um, but what he says is, I said of laughter, it is mad. Very interesting. Okay, that doesn't mean that all laughter is, is, uh, is, is bad, right? Because right? in 3, 4, he's going to say in his whole, there's a time for everything. He says there's actually, a, a time to weep, sorry, um, and, and a time to laugh. So he's recognizing there are time for these things. Um, but, but he'll say, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. These are the kind of statements that Ecclesiastes throw at you that make you sit with him and be like, what in the world does that mean? I'm not going to tell you. You can kind of you can kind of sit with that. Um, and uh, but this is so. This is what he's saying. If laughter is a gift from God, if it's good, it even kind of works like medicine in our life in relationships. Um, so he watches his heart as he kind of applies laughter and as he applies joy, and he says, "Okay, does living a life of laughing and joy provide all answers, satisfy me?" and resolve all the tension in my life. He says it doesn't. He says ultimately it's vanity. Why? Because actually Proverbs says this, says even in laughter, my heart still aches. Why? Because laughter, it cannot heal us from everything that touches us under the sun. It, can't, it cannot uh, escape you from the things that really bring sorrow and bring death which is why he's going to say sorrow is actually better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. See, what he's saying is if you try to sit in the posture of kind of laughter and joy all the time, it's mad. He's saying you're not living in the real world. Um, If your purpose is, is simply to make light of things and to laugh all the time, you will have to come to grips with that sorrow is better than laughter. Because a good cry is sometimes better than a good laugh in this world. Um, and I'm the, guy in, I'm the guy that in awkward, sometimes sad situations, I try to make a joke and it's, it, it's bad. <laughs> because I have a hard time sitting with people that weep because that feels awkward to me. And the way I try to get out of awkwardness is I make a joke. And, and, and the preacher is saying, that is unwise. That's trying to live in the world of laughter all the time and you'll actually be a fool. Um, Again, because Jesus, who was full of joy all the time, was called a man of sorrows. He wept with those who wept. Um, And so if, if, yes, laughter is good, but as he tested his heart, he realized if what I'm obsessed with is having a good time all the time, it'll lead to a life of denial. It'll lead to a shallow life. It'll actually be, be a way to try to escape this world, not interact with it in a, in a wise way. Because the day that's coming when God will wipe away all tears and it'll be eternal and forever joy, it's not here yet. There's taste of it, but it's not fully here. To try to act like it's all here now is escaping. Um, there's too much that still aches under the sun and we gotta learn how to sit in that if you wanna be wise. So uh, any kind of comments, questions on laughter? Um, now, now, look, see, when, when y'all are sick, you won't call me to come to your house because I would make a joke. That's, you need to, that's why we need like Toby Griggs. Call Toby. He'll like come and sit with you and cry with you. It's awesome. 
That's right. Yep. 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 Yes. That's another thing. As, as he kind of tested his heart and he watched laughter around it, I'm glad you said this. I'm going to bring this up. There's a madness in the fact that laughter, this good gift, can also be corrupted uh, to hurt others, right? Laughter at the expense of others, laughter that puts others down, laughter out of cruelty uh, is a corruption. Um, uh, it's, it's the way of foolishness. Yeah, good. Thanks, William. All right, then we have uh, uh, alcohol and sex. So he says, all right, let me, let me test the effects of kind of wine on my body and let me watch it, um, right? A search with my heart, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. So it's really interesting, right? He's not saying I went out there and got hammered, okay? He's saying I kept my wits. Uh, he knows wine is part of, part of God's good creation. It's a good gift. He, he knows it can be properly enjoyed and he does it that way. So hear him on this. He's not saying, again, there's a sense where uh, uh, alcohol, an alcoholic, you realize an alcoholic uh, is trying to escape something, typically. But he's saying, I actually kind of went about it the right way. And even with the right way and enjoying it with people, he said, still at the end of the day, uh, it didn't uh, relieve all suffering. It didn't answer all of life's questions. It didn't give me a purpose or, or kind of satisfaction forever. Um, so, I, yeah. I, so, on the one hand, right, all good gifts can be corrupted. And Ecclesiastes is going to say the way of foolishness is always when you try to escape the world as it is, the way God has left us in this world. And one of the age-old ways to try to escape pain, try to escape insecurities, is using alcohol. Now, it can be used properly as a good gift, but as soon as alcohol becomes a numbing agent to me, here's what studies now show. You can't just numb shame or you can't just numb fear. If you numb fear, you're also going to numb joy. You're going to numb sadness. Uh, You can't localize your numbing. And so he's watching all this. He's watching the way the world uses alcohol. He didn't watch the way sometimes we try to steward it rightly. And he says at the end, it will, it's not the answer. It can still be a good thing, but it's not the answer. Uh, and then he mentions concubines. What's interesting about the concubines, I kind of want to go down that path because you might see this note. Even Ecclesiastes says they're not sure what that Hebrew word means. So I don't know if it means concubines. But if it does, uh, it would be the same. That... Um, Solomon did have a ton of concubines at the end of his life and it was sinful and it was wrong. But he would be saying that, look, sex, it's a gift from God. It's it's, uh, between man and woman in marriage. But it will not provide eternal satisfaction. It will not heal everything. It will not heal the problems in our marriages. Uh, It it does not fix things. Sex usually actually exposes things. it, it, it can bring people together, but it does not uh, answer all of life's tough questions. Um, so then we have uh, beauty and creativity and music and the arts, um, right? He said, I made great works about houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted all those things. I got singers. Behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he's basically saying, hey, 
walk, walk through the gardens I made, walk through all the architecture I did, um, look, at it, look at all the beauty stuff. He doesn't deny it's beautiful. He doesn't deny that there's some great things about it. But he says there's no lasting gain in it. I found that that does not satisfy my heart. It does not give me an eternal purpose. And just like Glenn said, why? Well, because we're made for more, we're going to talk about it. But also, all those things can also be corrupted. Uh, S1 says, as human hands can create, can create words on a page, airplane, airplanes, and marvelous towers, but our creativity cannot stop airplanes from flying into towers. Artwork hung on walls that day and towers were crashed uh, into the city on September 11th. Creativity and beauty uh, do not keep the effects of this world from, from, from coming to us. Even a great song, like music is a great gift. And a great song will kind of call you in. And sometimes like if you're alone in your house, you start singing and you really feel real joy and you're glad nobody's watching you because that you're just kind of expressing it. But then when the song is over, you open your eyes and there's still dirty dishes in the sink. You're like, ah, they're still there, right? Because that's the real world that we live in. Um, and then uh, money, possessions, fame. Uh, uh, he says what he did. Again, this is, a, this is Ecclesiastes 5. Listen to this wisdom. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Look, he's just saying, again, money, possessions, all that fame, all that can, are, are gifts from God. But they will not fix your problems. They will not heal us. They will not in and of themselves bring wisdom. Again, I, you know, I'm just going to United States, in all of world history, is one of the most wealthiest, privileged people in world history. And by statistics, we are some of the most anxious and least content people in the world. Uh, it's just the way that it is. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, in paradise, Satan's temptation was, you're just missing one thing. Just get this one tree, and then you'll finally be okay. And that's the life. I just kind of get one more thing, then, I, then I'll be okay, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll find purpose. Uh, a friend of mine always says that the way money, the way income works, it works like closets in your house. Here's what I mean. Laz and I, probably like most of you, each stage of our life, we've lived in, lived in bigger and bigger houses. Every time we live in a bigger house, we fill up all of our storage space, closets, and then there's some left over in the garage. We're always like, man, if I just had a little more storage, then I'd have more space. So then we move into a bigger house, and guess what we do? We just get more stuff. And then we fill up those closets and we think, gosh, if I just had a little more. That's the way money works. We always think if I get a little more, then I'll finally be happy. Then I'll finally be able to save. Then I'll finally be able to be generous. But usually an increase in income just means an increase in expenses, not an increase in, in contentment. Because now, the, I make more money now than I did when I was in seminary. I make more money now than I thought I ever would. And actually, I worry about money more now than I did when I was in seminary because there's more. And now there's kids and they're like, and so now it's like, how do I keep from losing this? It's what the most miserable people in the world, the most miserable sports fans are not Ole Miss fans, it's Alabama fans. <laughs> because Alabama fans, once they had sustained success, they're neurotic. They're miserable to be around because, because they can't stand to lose one thing, which is why last night was just joyful watching the class, right? Um, but because once I have it, now I can't lose it. It just creates that. Uh, you, you can't lose it. And so he, he, tests his, he tests his heart with money and possessions and all those things. And he says at the end of the day, the best things that those do 
Right, it says if you, you see it with your eyes, that's the reward. So let's say you make this beautiful line of clothing. He says you'll see it on somebody else wearing it. That's awesome. That really is, that's very cool. And that's it. It kind of stops there. Um, and why? Uh, because, um, here, we didn't read this verse, but this is what we're gonna say. Uh, I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who is toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Here's, this is a big thing in Ecclesiastes. The reason that, um, that all joys in this world uh, will not give you an eternal purpose, will not answer all of life's kind of complex questions, though they're good, is because death is the killer of them all. It ends them all. And so Eswan puts it this way. He says, when we were young, we dreamt, dreamt of a house to buy, a yard to create, pieces of furniture to possess, and a bank account from which to use for our gain. Then when we are old, a time comes to sell everything that once represented our dreams of a future. We have to move to an assisted living facility or move in with our kids while someone else uses the drapes we left on the windows we used to wash and enjoy. That is like, that's hard to hear and that's the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Coming into the real world about what it looks like to have to kind of face death. Uh, but he's saying this is where real wisdom is found. Um, Man, I'm leaving you on a depressing note, sorry. That's okay, that's okay. Uh, let me, I, I refuse to leave you on a, uh, on a depressing note. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read this, because this is where we'll start next, year, next week, and then I'll see if there's a question. He says this, uh, actually I'm gonna leave you with this one first. The Christian says creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. C.S. Lewis is one of the best ones at arguing from your pleasure to show you the reality of God and what you were made for. Again, it's not that the pleasures are wrong, it's that you try to use them for the wrong thing. Your ultimate pleasure, ultimate satisfaction is in the face of God. You were made for Him. And as I see that I was made for Him and all these other things are simply gifts from Him, I can actually enjoy them. I can hold them with open hands, but we'll talk about that more uh, next week. Somebody's gonna say one thing in closing. Yes. And then we can't take it and we leave it. And that's destroying our children. Hmm. Hmm. They don't yeah. So should we just give all our money to charity? <laughs> to you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a real wisdom of like, what do I do with my money? And I, the principle is, um, we should be free from it. We should try to bless the world with it. And that's a wisdom question of what that looks like for you. But there's no doubt um, money is, to, is by Christian to be used to bless the world. So that's going to take a lot of wisdom. So. All right, 10.30. Thank you all.